Good morning. If you would, open a Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah 66. And I need somebody to come help me pass these out to everybody. Can Maybe somebody over here. Here. Hopefully there's enough for uh, one for everybody. This is, um, well, it's a little frightening, I guess, uh, would be the word, because I am passing out to you my outline for what I'm about to do. And I'm always a little fearful of that, because when you pass out your outline, what happens is everybody looks at the outline, they say, okay, that's what we're doing, and then they, you know, put it down and do something else or maybe fall asleep. You know, like, we've already heard all this. We know what you're going to say, uh, so there's no surprises. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and do that because I think the value of it uh, will be seen in you having this with you as we go through it. And then uh, I want this to be something that you take with you after we're done and that this be a lesson that is not just uh, for these 30 minutes or whatever we have here, uh, but something that's going to help you throughout the week and throughout coming months uh, because this is a, a lesson that will be a challenge to all of us. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 1, Isaiah 66 and verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So the picture that Isaiah draws here is God is sitting in outer space, and he puts his feet up on the earth. The earth is his footstool. And the idea of that, just think about that, this planet that is all that we've known as long as we've been alive, this planet that none of us will ever leave while we're here alive. That planet is to God nothing. You know, it's the footstool. And yet, despite God's greatness, what he says in verse 2 is, I'm going to look at the person who is humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word, that such a great God notices the lowliest man. That's the point. So it is a jaw-dropping statement. It is an amazing thing that these are the kinds of people God would say, those are the people I want, those are the people that I care about. There are a couple of statements that are sort of constants throughout Scripture. They come up again and again. Uh, One of them is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's quoted a couple of times in the New Testament. It's one of those baseline principles about God. God is going to fight against the proud, oppose them. They're on the wrong team, but God is going to give grace to the humble. And then there is one that seems to be just a favorite of Jesus's. Everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see there's just several different places where Jesus says that or maybe a minor variation on that. So these are foundational pieces of what God is expecting from us. God has a certain expectation that the people that he deals with will have a humility. And God is going to oppose us if we show ourselves to be proud. God is going to give grace to us if we're humble or to say it a different way, he'll raise up those who lower themselves. Now, that's all straightforward enough. I don't think the difficulty is in understanding that. The difficulty is in how to do that. How do we get to a point where we say, I am a a person who is seeking humility, who is humbling myself before God? So what I want to do this morning is give us some humility practice. That's the goal this morning. I want us to think about some things that are going to help us to walk humbly with our God. And this lesson is going to be different. As you can probably tell, I don't normally have 17 points. Today, I have 17 points. So... I can't spend 10 minutes on each one of these. 
At least, I don't think you would be happy about that. Uh, what I'm going to do is give you a brief explanation. I'm going to put the scripture that I have on your little, uh, this is intended to be a bookmark, by the way. It's a little wide, I know, but that's okay. Um, but there's a scripture on here, and we'll, we'll put that up on the board. We're not going to turn to all of these, but you're welcome to turn to them on your own time. We're just going to have them on the board and talk through each of these points that has a connection to humility and a biblical principle. So something that has Bible behind it and then that we can do practically to try to work on humility. All right, so let's begin uh, with confess a sin. Uh, if you want to practice humility, confess a sin. So in this scene that I'm going to put on the board, this is about how Elijah has confronted Ahab about Naboth, how he took Naboth's vineyard and killed him. Uh, it says, When Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. We don't normally think of a good part of Ahab's life, but this is a good response. When Ahab receives the rebuke about what he has done, he is upset by it. Okay? And not just upset in the way that says, you know, oh, I got caught, but he is legitimately humbling himself before God. God himself says that. So there is a connection in the text between humility and admitting sin. There's a connection between having regret for things that we've done. When we confess sin, we get rid of pride. We say we have done wrong. It's not anybody else's fault. This is not about what other people did or should have done. It's not about, well, I'm sorry you took it that way. Okay, this is instead lowering ourselves to say, I did wrong. I should not have done this. I can't excuse it. I am sorry for what I've done. Part of the battle that we have with pride is feeling that we are better than other people. And that comes across, particularly when we talk about sin, it's very easy for us to notice other people's sins and to look down on them and their sin. Jesus talks about that with the speck and the beam. But we are sometimes wrong too. And when we confess our sins to others, we practice humility. It is good for us. It is healthy for us. It's appropriate for us. James tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. All right, so you want some practice in humility. Confess something you've done wrong. Second, pray for somebody. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul writes, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy. He says, we haven't quit praying for you. Now, the Colossians are actually people that, that don't know Paul. Paul doesn't know them, uh, and he is saying instead, uh, this is something that I continually do. I pray for you, and he is thinking about people he helped convert and then people that other people have converted. Still, he says, I'm asking God to fill you, and I'm asking God so that you'll walk in a manner worthy to him and all these things that are good for you. So pride often affects us by making us focus on ourselves, on our own problems. And praying for someone else is going to help us get into their heads and what do they need? How can we help them? So that's what Paul is doing. And when we start praying for other people, it gets the focus off of us. Okay, the focus is not on me. The focus is on you and what you need and how I can help you. What can God do to help you? What is it that you need in your spiritual development? That becomes the focus. So I'm no longer just fixated on myself. You want to practice humility? Pray for somebody. Third, admit you don't know. 
If you want to practice humility, say those words, I don't know. 1 Corinthians 8, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now I want you to notice that connection between knowledge and puffing up. That's very easy for us when we learn something or think that we know something, that we become arrogant in that. And so knowledge can puff up. Be careful about that. And one of the best ways that I have found to break that connection between pride and knowledge is to just say, hey, I don't know that. In fact, when I started preaching, I used to think that if I ever admitted I didn't know something, I would lose the respect of people. I mean, after all, what good am I if I don't know stuff? Okay, so what that led to, of course, is pretending to know stuff I didn't know, which is bad for me. Of course, it's not teaching anybody anything because I didn't know anything. Uh, but also, you know, there are always those times where your lack of knowledge, your ignorance is exposed, and then you feel terrible, and everybody else is kind of embarrassed for you. It's just not a good situation. It's much easier. In fact, I have found people usually appreciate the honesty of you just saying, I don't know. Although sometimes, of course, it's disappointing to people. So those three words can break that spell. But most of all, it will keep me from thinking too highly of myself that I, I've got all of this knowledge and I know so much more than someone else. There are things that we don't know. You don't know everything. And it's good for us just to practice admitting that. Admit that you don't know. All right, fourth one, uh, skip a meal. Skip a meal. There is a connection in Scripture between humility and fasting. All right, so let me show you that in Ezra, uh, chapter 8, verse 21. Ezra says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. In fact, this idea of humbling ourselves is very often just a, uh, oh, what's the word? Synonym for fasting. So, he says, we're going to proclaim a fast and we're going to humble ourselves before our God. So we are saying we don't want to eat because we're going to ask God for things. We know that we don't have the right to approach God just because we're so good. But if we humble ourselves, God will hear us. Because remember, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we're going to lower ourselves by stopping our necessities of life, our normal parts of life where we eat. We do all these things that are focused on us. And we're going to put our attention on God. I think this is particularly good because fasting breaks the grip of the idea that we always have to have all our needs met. You know, we always have to have uh, this nice, fancy, filling, just what I want kind of meal. Like, we don't have to eat all the time. We don't have to do anything. We, even that idea in itself carries a little bit of pride, doesn't it? That, that, you know, I deserve to have what I want all the time. Every time I get hungry, I deserve to have that need met and met well and met immediately. It's very easy for us to get lured into that kind of pride. Fasting breaks that grip. So I humble myself and I remember there are things that are more important than my comfort. I may not be comfortable, but I may be more humble. And in doing so, I practice Humility. So you want to practice humility, skip a meal, seek the face of God, think about God's things instead of just your things. Number five, uh, study the Bible for no reason. Sometimes we feel like we need a reason to study. And I'm not saying that's bad. I think that can be very good. I, I know I've talked to brethren and I've had brethren talk to me about how if you just have a plan, it's much better. Sometimes you get asked to teach a class or something like that, and then you really have to get after it when you're teaching a class because you know <laughs> you're going to have to say, I don't know a lot if you don't. 
uh, you, your ignorance is going to be exposed, so you work hard in that. And I think that can be very positive. I'm not criticizing that. But I'm saying it can help us to grow in humility when we study the Bible without a particular goal in mind, simply to know the mind of God. What does God want? What does God think? What is God like? I remind you, Jesus quoted this when he's tempted by Satan. He answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is what sustains us. And when we study the Bible to learn about God, to, do, to gain the spiritual strength and wisdom that we need, what we learn is that we are dependent on God. We need him and we need his word. In fact, when we are in a pattern, have you noticed this in your own personal life? When you get into a pattern of reading scripture regularly, and then maybe you forget for a day or two, or you leave it off, do you notice that you miss it? Okay, that there's something that it just fills a need in you that nothing else that you take in, nothing else that's an input for you is going to fill. I believe that's an illustration of what Jesus is saying here. We need that information from God, that mind of God to sustain us. So study and read and learn for its own sake, just to learn God and you'll practice humility because again, we, we learn our dependence that we need more than just what we can bring for ourselves. All right, take the lowest place. Take the lowest place. You probably know I'm referring to a story Jesus tells, one of the parables of Jesus in Luke chapter 14. Uh, here it is, a little long, but... Uh, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, he says, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. It's a very interesting idea. Jesus is really saying you can't take honor from people. Honor has to be given to you. Okay, so if you go out trying to seek people's honor, and, and in fact, sometimes we find people who try to do that, and we find them particularly obnoxious. I'm talking about people who are constantly bragging about the things that they've done because they really want you to say, wow, you're really great, as if they can take your honor from you. No, that's not the way that works. Jesus is saying honor is given. So you want your host to honor you, give him an opportunity to do it. Don't seek the honor yourself. You go sit in the lowest place and he can raise you up. That's the way humility works. That instead of seeking to be honored, we just lower ourselves and allow honors, if they're going to come, to come. If they don't, then we're fine being in the lowest place. So that means that we don't insist on being treated in some kind of special way. Okay, that I don't deserve some kind of uniquely awesome treatment. You don't have to refer to me with special terms. You don't have to treat me in a special, you know, this is, I, I, I got to say, this happens with preachers. It's so funny. I'm about to go in a gospel meeting next week. When you go in a gospel meeting, it's the funniest thing. Like, I'm just a regular person, but people will roll out the red carpet for you. They will fawn over you and they'll say, oh, you, you did such a great job. Do you need anything? Can we do this or that for you? And I appreciate that. But I mean, you guys know, I'm just a regular person. I don't deserve any of that. You, see, and, and that's the thing. You go in a gospel meeting and people think, oh, these are the, this is the best preacher in the whole world. And then you say, well, people who know me know. Okay, it's different. I think it's important for us to say, that's not something we seek. 
If people want to honor us, that's great, and that's a, a, a blessing on them because they are honoring someone. But it's not something I have to have. I can take the lowest place, and I'll be just fine. If that's the way I approach my life, then that will be a practice of humility. So it's important for us, as much as we enjoy and appreciate others doing kind things and showing honor to us, that's not something we seek. Choose the lowly option. It will bless you. Uh, Consider the other side. All right, so uh, everybody thinks that they're right all the time. Okay, we have a discussion. I'm going to think I'm right. You're going to think you're right. Uh, This happens all over the place in uh, all kinds of um, forums where people begin to argue. And if you're wrong, then you're wrong. And I can't imagine myself ever being wrong. Uh, It's easy to be amazed at how wrong everybody is. I mean, everybody's wrong except the few people that say what I'm saying. So humility means that I'm going to have to be able to lower myself to be able to think about and see the other side. That's what I'm thinking about here. Uh, I'm thinking about the situation with Apollos in Acts 18. We went over this in our our daily readings a few uh, weeks ago. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I'm impressed by this because... Even though Apollos had this great knowledge, he's described as mighty in the scriptures, even though he was uh, fervent in spirit, okay, and even though he was a bold speaker, all of those things are true, he was willing to consider that he was wrong. And that is just an awesome character statement. There is humility there to say, if someone approaches me, and I can say this from experience, when I say something publicly and someone approaches me and says, now you're wrong about this, My instinct is not to say, you know, you're probably right. My instinct is to say, "Uh uh-uh, you know, and to defend what I've said. But there is humility in saying, let me think about what they're saying. Let me listen. Let me consider. Maybe I'm wrong. So there is another side in political issues. There is another side in religious issues. Why do they say what they say? Why do people on the other side believe what they believe? Do you see what's happening? When we ask questions like that, we're beginning to think. Maybe they're not just wrong. Maybe there's a reason. And maybe I could understand it. And maybe I can consider, are they right in that? What is it about that that is drawing them to that position and that thought? Maybe if I don't assume that I already know how wrong they are, I can understand them better. And maybe I end up believing the same thing I believed before the discussion, but I will at least have considered their side. And usually, if I do continue to believe what I believe, I will believe more strongly because I'll have really had a test or a challenge to what I believe. But you know, there is also the possibility that I may just be wrong and need to change. But whatever happens, I have practiced humility when I have honestly and earnestly considered the other side. Kind of going along with that is the idea of disagreeing respectfully. Uh, There are a couple of places that this is mentioned. Uh, This is 2 Timothy 2. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. I want you to notice the gentleness there. And then in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
gentleness and respect. So we're talking about situations here where we are having a disagreement with someone that has to do with Jesus. And he says, you still be respectful, you still be gentle, you be meek, you be humble, be careful. So we're going to disagree with people, but that doesn't mean we can't still treat them respectfully. Uh, this has been lost in our time. I don't know if you guys are on social media. If you're on social media, what you'll see is people characterize other people by one comment. They see one comment, and suddenly they will call someone a fascist or a communist or Hitler or stupid or some other characterization that's just way out of line based on one thing. Disagreeing respectfully, I believe, is an important Christian principle. Sometimes we're going to disagree, but we need to remember these are people made in the image of God. I may be right. I may think I know what's best, but I show respect for them because I am willing to lower myself even though I may disagree about a position. So I lower myself so that I say, you deserve respect no matter what. You deserve respect, and I'm going to give it to you even if you don't give it to me. All right? Uh, focus on young people. This is an interesting one. Uh, when Jesus wants to teach on humility, he calls a young child. That time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Calling to him a child. He put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So when the disciples are becoming power grabbers, seeking for power over others, Jesus says, you need to be like young people, become more like them. It's very interesting to me that the disciples seem to have no use, no interest in young people at all. They come to Jesus and they're bringing the young children and they shoo them away. And Jesus, of course, is indignant and says, bring the children to me, let the little children come to me. So Jesus wants them to focus on people, not just for what they can get out of them. And that's where young people bless us. Because usually our interactions with young people are not about what we can get out of the young people. It's instead an investment. It's something we say, I want to show kindness just because. It's not about, hey, if I get to know this person, maybe they'll support me or help me or there's some blessing that comes to me. It is instead something I am doing for them. And I think little children, young people bless us. Especially, I'll just say this for me, they help us not take ourselves quite so seriously. They teach us that we're not so important. And they show us, by the way, that we may be getting older than we realized. And that maybe there's going to come a time when we're not the center and focus of attention the way we have been. Little children, help us focus on young people and it will lower you. All right? What are we on? Number 10? All right, we're moving. Compliment someone. Compliment someone. This is Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Be a blessing to the people you talk to and talk about. Build up. Give grace. So when we're proud, we tend to be self-focused. And when we compliment others, when we take the opportunity to say, there's something good about them that I want to say about them, what we're doing is focusing on others in a positive way. The spotlight is off of me, and it's on other people. Can I say this about that? I would especially encourage that we compliment other people in things that have to do with character, not that have to do with appearance. Okay, Appearances are something none of us can help. We look the way we look. Character is something we have chosen. 
If there's anything to be complimented, especially among the people of God, it should not be things that are merely physical. It should instead be things that have to do with spiritual character. So compliment someone and practice humility. Put the spotlight on them and off of yourself. Uh, Do a good deed secretly. You know that Jesus talks about this. Uh, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So giving, Jesus also talks about praying that way, fasting that way, in a way that other people are not going to notice. You do it in secret. Pride begins to come when we want other people to see and notice our good deeds and say, wow, what a good job, pat us on the back. We want the honor from other people. He says, don't be that way. Instead, be humble by just seeking the approval of God. If no one else knows, I'm going to do this. In fact, I have found this is a very good test for where my relationship with God is generally, is what am I doing when nobody else knows? What am I doing when no one sees? What am I thinking about? What am I focusing on? Do I ever do good things for others and just not say anything? That's a good indicator. If I give and don't tell anybody, if I serve and don't tell anybody, there is humility in that. So do a good deed secretly. Humility practice. Let someone else decide. I'm not just talking about where we're going to eat, although that might be part of it. I'm thinking about uh, decisions where we have a will that we want and we let somebody else decide. We just cede that to them. I'm thinking about Abraham. Abraham says to Lot, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from one another. You know, Abraham is humbling himself here, isn't he? Abraham, for one, is the older. He is the one who is likely the wealthier. Abraham could have said, you know what? You go over there. Get out of here. I'm taking this. But instead, he humbles himself and says, Lot, you decide. In fact, it's interesting. You know, if Lot had made a different decision, Abraham might have ended up in Sodom because he let someone else decide. But as it is, it sure looks like he gets the short end of the stick. Lot gets the nice land. Abraham gets the crummy land. And yet... Abraham is humbling himself by letting someone else decide. Pride comes when we have to have our way. Pride comes when I say, no, I cannot stand it. As someone else is making this decision, I should be the one in charge. That I have to get my way in my family. I have to get my way in the church. I have to get my way at work. It needs to be my way. I know best. Nobody's listening to me. Humility says, you know what? Other people are going to make decisions. Sometimes they'll be good. Sometimes they'll be bad. But I can let them decide. I can let go of that control. And I can adjust to the decisions of others. All right. Uh, Refuse to complain. Refuse to complain. Uh, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Philippians 2.14. We all are going to have things that are not our favorite. Sometimes it's things others do to us. Sometimes it's disappointment. Sometimes it's uh, circumstances that just don't go the way we want them to go. But we have a choice as to whether we're going to voice that and be complainers, whine and complain. Humility says, I'm going to consciously choose not to say what I'd really like to say. I would really like to give voice to the discontent in my heart, but I don't want to just be a complainer. You know, there are some problems that need to come out. 
There are some problems, things that are going on that I need to share, and we need to bear one another's burdens about those. But you know as well as I do, there are some problems that are just us whining. There are some problems that are just about the minor frustrations that are common to man, that are small things that I just need to swallow and get over. And if I just voice them all as complaining, uh, that's not going to bless anyone. All right, uh, be nice to someone undeserving. What have I got? I've got three minutes. All right. So this is Saul. The people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. So Saul steps in and says, No, I'm going to pardon these people. They oppose me, but I'm not killing them. David does something similar when Shimei curses him. He pardons him. Doesn't have to. Be nice to someone who doesn't deserve it. Humility comes from saying that my honor is not the most important thing in the world. If someone dishonors me, I can let it go. If someone does something and deserves a different treatment from me, I can still let it go. I can be nice to them. I can be kind anyway. In fact, I practice grace when I do that. Grace is giving someone who does not deserve it. All right, apply the Bible to your faults. Please, 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 when you read Scripture, don't just think about other people. Don't just think about the bad people that you've known. Don't just think about how denominations twist the Scripture. Don't just think about everybody else. Think about you. God is intending to address each one of us in the words of Scripture. So James says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. There's humility in the way we listen to God's word. And if we are going to listen and receive it with meekness, then we're going to have to think about how I am guilty. Okay, not everybody else in the world, not all the people who have done wrong to me. How am I guilty? All right? Question your anger. And one of my favorite parts of Scripture is when God talks to Jonah in Jonah 4. And the Lord said, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? The old New King James, the old New King James, the New King James says, is it right for you to be angry? But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? You know, we all get angry, don't we? It's not always right. It's not always justified. It's not always the way we should be. And the only way we're going to know that is if we question our anger. In fact, I might even go farther than that and say, there might be a reason you're angry that's not about the situation at all. Jonah is angry, but it's about Jonah. He thinks it's about God. He thinks it's about Nineveh. It's really about Jonah. And sometimes when we get angry, what we're revealing is there is a problem in me. If I question my anger and get to the bottom of that, I begin to practice humility. Just because I'm angry doesn't give me a license to do whatever I want, and it doesn't mean I'm right. All right, last one. Serve somebody. Serve somebody. Paul says, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He doesn't have to be a servant, but Paul chose to be a servant. So often, please listen, often our pride and our condescension and our self-focus means that we are just not doing very much for anybody but ourselves. This is the call. Make yourself a servant. Do for others, whether they acknowledge it or not, like it or not, whether they honor you or not. Just lower yourself like Jesus did and serve somebody. So, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. My encouragement to you is take this. Think about it. There are going to be some of these that you look at and you say, no, that's not, that's not one that I'm ready to do or wanting to do. But there are going to be some that you say, I can do that now. Okay, I want to encourage you, practice humility, and you'll grow, and God will give grace to the humble. Thanks for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.